Hello everyone, I hope you're doing well and healthy. Today's episode is a bit different and I'm so excited to share with you guys. Have you ever asked yourself how do hackers hack? What is an ethical hacker and what social engineering is? My guest today is the one and only Jack Resider, the host of Darknet Diaries where true stories from dark side of the internet. By December 31, 2018, Darknet Diaries has amassed more than 1.2 million downloads, and in 2019 only, there were more than 8.2 million downloads. And the story behind the podcast itself is inspiring. In October 2017, Jack launched his podcast, and after three months from the launch, he quitted his job in security engineering because of the burnout and he became a full-time podcaster. It shouldn't go without saying that Jack's show had an impact and real-life influence in the audience. One example of that, some notable episodes have been praised for their deep-diving insights, such as episode 17, which is called Finn, where Resider explore a curious child evolution into becoming a hacker. So in this episode, we are trying to dig deeper in Jack's thoughts about how podcasting literally it changed his life. And also we discuss how we can use podcasting as a way of education um, and being creative as well. So I hope you enjoy listening to Jack as much as I did. And I do highly recommend you subscribing to his masterpiece podcast, Darknet Diaries. I will put details in description box and I hope you enjoy listening. Thank you. Thank you, Jack, for joining us in the podcast. Uh, it's such an honor to have you. If I would like to ask you uh, for introducing yourself, if anyone's first time listening to you, how you would like to introduce yourself? My name is Jack Resider. I'm the host and creator of the podcast Darknet Diaries. And before that, I spent 10 years working as a, a network security engineer, um, securing networks and uh, locking them down. So thank you once again for uh, for joining, Jack. And actually, I'm curious about uh, your experiences. Beyond that, you have really fantastic and uh, intriguing podcast about uh, hacking. So I would like to ask you why start as a podcast in the first class. Well, I love podcasts, and I've been listening to them for quite a while before I started the podcast. And um, you know, it's just something I was listening to every single day. And I was like, well, some of these shows that I listen to, they're high drama and they have a lot of twists and turns and they really suck you in. And it's great storytelling like This American Life or Radiolab, um, stuff like that. And I thought, well, that could be done for like hacker stories. There's so many high drama hacker stories out there. And it's also, I want to hear what happened four years after the fact on some of these cases that I know about. Like, what was all the aftermath and fallout? Did they catch the hacker? Did they fix the problem? How did they fix the problem? And so I was like, where are those shows? And I searched and searched and searched. I couldn't find it. And eventually I just gave up and said, maybe I'll try making it myself. Um, and so I, I read a book on called Out on the Wire, which uh, explains how some of the, some of the pros make uh, good storytelling audio. And uh, went from there. I gave, gave it an episode a try. I sent it to some friends. They liked it. Said, you need to make this. And so I made it. Yeah, that's wonderful. I'd like to stop here, to be honest, Jack, with you. I know that you have now this is third year and your podcast is very successful. But I'm curious to ask you when you started uh, the first episode, because I know that almost every podcaster has experienced that you will not make it. You, just have, you have this feeling that it's impossible that you can reach what you believe in. And, and I, I feel the passion you had already. But was it challenging for you, the first episode? Yeah, definitely. And that, that is the case. There's uh, maybe one in a thousand people who start a podcast that um, make any money at it. Like uh, most podcasts lose money. So um, yeah, I mean, I knew I was facing this challenge that just wasn't going to be easy. But um, I decided to go real slow at it and, and get it right so that I could, you know, make all the right steps. So, you know, it, even though I had the idea and I read the book, it really took like six months before that first episode came out. It wasn't, uh, okay, what's the equipment I need to get and let's go. It was, okay, I have the equipment, but now let me spend the next three months figuring out how to write a good audio piece and how to do good journalism and all this kind of stuff. Like to me, the content had to be better than 
you know, all the other stuff. I want you to really love this thing. So that's what, you know, that's what I think uh, helped a lot is, is making sure that the show itself is pretty good and not mediocre because mediocre dies and mediocre just you, you want to scrap that and start over with something great. And so that was kind of my main focus, which I was thinking was going to help me stand out from the crowd. And I think it did. Yeah, I would like to stop here again because it's very interesting what you say because I can't even myself stop listening to your episode. And I think what's intriguing about you is the storytelling and make everyone excited about the episode. And you can have a mixed feeling, scary, excited. And that's fascinating, um, the power of the voice and the storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I would like to stop in that because I think that, uh, I think this skill is, is sometimes it's challenging and uh, I don't know how, how you master this skill. Yeah. Um, so, so one of the things I think was ha- what maybe harder than that was actually describing complex topics simply. So, it, you know, there, we're talking about highly technical stuff. We're talking about Bitcoin and, um, you know, SQL injections and, you know, stuff that is pretty complicated. And I wanted to have this reach a larger audience. So th- how do you explain these kind of concepts to a larger audience that isn't necessarily deep in the tech? so that it can be approachable by anyone. That was another, uh, you know, challenge. And so if we back up maybe like eight years before I started the podcast, I was blogging. And with the blog, I was explaining really complex stuff like VPN. I was explaining how a VPN worked and, um, you know, setting it up yourself, not not using a, uh, you know, VPN service, but actually like buying the equipment to make your own VPN and stuff like that and explaining all the different troubleshooting that you could possibly you know, run into and all this kind of stuff. And so I was really getting deep into, you know, explaining as, as best I can these, these topics. And people really liked it, right? And, they, and I, I would revisit blog posts in order to explain things better. So seven years of kind of just blogging about how to explain really complex topics, I think really, sh- you know, shined when I was ready to make a podcast. Because when I start explaining this technical stuff in audio format, I've kind of practiced that. So that was one thing that I think really helped. And so I can use, you know, basic analogies and stuff to, to get the concept over. Um, but yeah, like you said, storytelling was a big factor. And that book that I mentioned out on the wire was uh, kind of has a formula in there for all the different people. Well, there's many different people who, who helped contribute to the book. But one of the things in there is a, is a formula that some people use, which is um, this story is about X, but Y happens instead. And if you can frame a story like this, it, it helps you with your storytelling, uh, you know, technique. Because what you what you've got here is here's what the person is trying to accomplish in the story, but something goes wrong, something goes terribly wrong, and they end up in a new trage- trajectory, a new direction, and something else happens instead. So this story is about X, but Y happens instead. And when you frame it like that, that now you have like kind of the story arc all in one sentence, right? And so there's other things, there's other tricks you can do, like movement, if you've got somebody who actually is walking to, you know, to their destination or is, or is you know, approaching something or getting there, it, it, it kind of puts you on the edge of your seat. You, you start wanting to hear, well, what happened? What, what, what happens when they get there? They're, they're really curious. They want to get there. And so if you can get, you know, movement into the story, that helps us, you know, stick with it as well. So there's all these little uh, tricks that I was picking up, which are, which is kind of like a scaffolding. It's not really like uh, what I use now because now I kind of know it. But at the beginning, it was great to just say, if you don't know the direction to go, make sure you've got this, this, and this set up. And then I was like, oh, okay, that I didn't set that up at the beginning. Now I got that set up. Now I know which direction to go with the story. Yeah, that's powerful. I, I don't know how much hour does it take from you to prepare for episode. I think it takes a lot of effort to do that because I heard when you interview when you say that in the broadcasting, there's a lot of broadcasting uh, in, the, in the world. But I think what makes broadcasters stand, I think you said that a quality. But, but how it's hard to you to, uh, to work behind each episode because I, I feel there's a lot of investigation and it, it sounds to me like investigation more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of investigations and, and tracking down people. So I'll, I'll interview the hacker behind the, you know, the hack, or I'll interview the incident response team who had to handle it, or I'll interview the FBI agent who tracked down the hacker, you know, so getting all getting to these people and interviewing them is, is quite, you know, sometimes takes a year to get the right access. 
Um, so w once I do get that, then it takes about a whole week of um, getting together the you know the audio and editing it out and writing my narration and adding the sound and all that kind of stuff. Um, so a good solid week of work. But um, <clears throat> now that I've gotten bigger, I've able to get a team, and I'll hand off different projects to them, and they'll get it back and and. It's funny that with a team, things go much slower than by myself, but I'll, I'm able to multi-thread and I can have multiple things going on at once. So um, things do come along a little bit faster because I'm giving uh, different projects to different people and not, we're not all working on the same episode at once. What is the feeling you had after each episode at the beginning, or like three years ago? What's the feeling you had after finishing each episode as you, Jack? Well, yeah. So, so, in the in the interview, sometimes I have a big smile on my face, and I almost start laughing because I just feel so good, even when they're telling me like a horrible story that they did. But I, but if I have good audio, like if I captured like a really good moment on tape, then it really touches me, and I really feel moved by that. I feel excited. I can't wait to show this to my listeners because this is such good audio. And so there, that's kind of one of the most exciting moments to me is when I know I've got something good here and it's moving me to laugh or, or even cry a little bit because it's just such good audio. Uh, so that's the first clue that I'm, I'm on the right direction, right? And the, But then when after the music is added to the whole piece and I listen to it, kind of I try to you know, erase my mind from all the work I've done on it and listen to it after, you know, I've worked on it for 40 hours and say, okay, how does this, how does this sound? And when I hear it, oh, that, that again, I get excited. I kind of get goosebumps and, and just excited that this is going to, this is going to be one of my favorite episodes ever. And I feel that way about every episode. It's just so exciting to have it all come together. Um, but then when I do publish, I do have a sense of nervousness where um, maybe I didn't fact check enough, or maybe I misrepresented this person, or maybe I took one side too far or was too, um, I don't know, something. And I'm always nervous. And so once I do hit publish and the next day, I wake up and I check all the, I check all the Twitter feeds and, and Instagram and Reddit and everything to see if people are like calling me out on something like, oh, this is not how this works at all. You don't know what you're talking about. Because that's kind of my biggest fear is that I didn't research enough and I, I just don't have the, the, the facts. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of the roller coaster of emotion. Yeah, but that's interesting. Why you have this feeling? Um, I'm curious to know why you have this kind of nervousness about episode. Because I I know most of people just do it and leave it behind and just if it make it or not. Why you have this kind of nervousness? I, yeah, I mean, I I guess I'm just trying to represent the the truth as much as possible. And if I distort it or or screw it up in some way, then I I just feel. Uh, bad of my duties of trying to you know find that truth and so you know it, this this feeling has gone down over time as I get more people to help me and review things and fact check and stuff like the more help I have the less worried I feel because I'm like well I, I passed it through like four other people who all thought this was you know the the facts and the proper way to explain this um, I think, you know, one person's opinion is not too bad to say that I didn't do it right. Well, so I'm kind of waiting for like four or five people to say, no, 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 this is not how you do this. Because um, one, one or two is just never, never really enough for me. So, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. I'm curious to go when you left your career, because I heard in one interview that uh, you left your career and now you have kind of lab, sort of lab in your, in your place where you live, I think. And that's interesting, to be honest, how, how, when that you rely that, okay, I, I have to be full-time at both casting and leave my career. Is it was a challenge for you? Yeah, it was for sure. Um, the podcast started about three months before I left my job. So I had the thing up and running, and I had a little bit of traction, but it wasn't making any money. But the work was just, I was burnt out. I was there for 10 years, and they were giving me projects that were just too big for me to handle <clears throat> and asking me to do things that were... Uh, just impossible. Like they gave me a, a crew of two people and said, we need this to be a 24-7, 365 team. And I'm like, well, there's me and two people. There's no way that can be a 24-7 a operation. So like this is the kind of task they were trying to have me accomplish. And it just kind of wore me out to the end. So I had to just quit just because I was burnt out. Um, and I thought, okay, well, I've got this podcast going. Maybe I can spend three months to see if I can get the thing 
making some sort of money or in a in a place that supports me in some way. And so that I just put a lot of focus in that for the three months. And at the very end of that, it started to make its first dollar. And I was like, okay, I think I can squeak by like another month. And then by the end of that next month, it was able to, uh, you know, actually make some money to, to keep me going. I think that's really wonderful story. I think many can resonate with you. I myself, by the way, I can resonate with the story. I'm in an academia, but I'm now like seven years or eight years in academia, but I started the podcasting and because I'm really passionate about audio and voice. And I can feel um, passion or purpose for, although maybe not everyone uh, maybe like what you do for myself. And um, and sometimes you have the sound that you have to keep going and something makes you happy and fulfilled. For you, I think that's, that's the question here. How do you feel now? How, are you fulfilled with what you did? Yeah, because... Yeah, because of the fans. I mean, the, the, every day I get a message that says, like, I'm so amazed at the work you do. Thank you so much. Or people tell me, um, I quit my job to go into security because of you. And I even got somebody who told me they stopped drinking because of my show, because I don't know why. But I was just like, I've been impacting so many people's lives. And that is so amazing. That That's a feeling unlike anything, where you put something artistic out in the world. I created this with my own two hands. What do you think? And people just come back with just overwhelming uh, approval and support and praise for it. And that just makes me, gives me wings, right? It just, I'm so happy. And there's so much gratitude that's coming back towards me that I just can't stop. It's it's amazing to to do that. So that's what, that that makes me happier than, than anything else. Yeah, that's, uh, I can't agree with that. I'm one of them. I'm one fan of your podcast. So yeah, that's true. Yeah. So... I would like to stress again about the role of broadcasting in education because I, I think uh, when I hear her interview that something very interesting that students even become interested in the field of hacking and security because of you. And uh, I can feel sometimes, um, not everyone, I'm not making generalization that there's underestimation for the value of broadcasting. And I can imagine maybe broadcasting can play a significant role in education. So if you can tell us what kind of like store students, because I know that you have a significant uh, influence in the younger generation to be interested in this field. How do you see the future of education and broadcasting in that area? Well, um, there's some there's some professional certificates in the security world that actually give um, you know the continuing education credits for listening to certain podcasts, and my podcast has been you know, listened to by some of these people and they got credits for, I mean, they're very highly technical certs and they, they still get credits for this. So, I mean, that's kind of the part of the continuing education right there is that podcasts are, are approved forms for that. So that's, that's cool. Um, it's, but I think, I think it has, mm, yeah, I mean, I just think one, one of the things I, I heard once at a conference was, uh, you know, it was a, it was a highly technical security conference, but the people were talking like, hey, you, you know, everyone wants to be, you know, kind of a security rock star in this space. But coming up here to give a, a talk to other security people is really hard. You have to, you know, be very technical and, and know what you're talking about. And, and, you know, you're talking to a bunch of people who can see right through you if you're trying to bluff. But if you take what you know and maybe go talk at Comic-Con or another, you know, conference, you can reach a bigger, you know, wider audience that doesn't know as much as, as us. And they could still see you as a rock star because to them, to, to their eyes, you're just a, a cool hacker. But to our eyes as security people, you're just another coworker, you know. So sometimes you just have to get able to be able to explain um, some really interesting concepts to a larger audience in a way that they understand, uh, but is not boring if you want to also approach the uh, the technical audience. And I think this has kind of been that that was really influential to me to say, okay, how can I how can I be helpful to an uh, to to people interested in security who aren't in security, right? So that is kind of where I kind of took the show is to approach those people cuz my barber is is interested in in hackers and and hacking stories and stuff and uh my dentist and all these people but they don't really read any hacker books or listen to any hacker podcasts. Um and so 
that's because none, nothing was really, you know, tailored for them. So that's what kind of what I wanted to bring towards them, which has brought such a quite, you know, a bit of education to them because I think people like listening to podcasts and doing other things and such. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a free thing that's accessible to people and sure, why not put educational stuff in it and people are getting stuff out of it. So, yeah, it's I think it's definitely an educational tool. But I'm curious, you know, because I think I think each episode is really interesting, and I feel there's a lot of sensitivity in the subject you talk about about the hackers and 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 the guests you had of high quality for the people you had already in the story. Have you ever faced any kind of pressure or threat due to the podcast? Yeah, I mean, we're talking about um, like nude nude photos on <laughs> one episode we're talking about israel and pakistan and india you know there's different factions that are warring uh, out there in the world and yeah i'll dive right into it and get into it and you know russia and crimea and all this kind of stuff um for the most part i feel like uh, i mean i will on sensitive areas i will over research and make sure that i have all the facts and then i'll be able to present it in a way that's just the most factual and when you do it in that way nobody really can come back to you and say oh that's not accurate because they there's how do you refute when it actually happened so you know I, I, that's my goal in those kind of subjects but whenever russia comes up i do get quite a few people or or trump i get quite a few people that say i, I misrepresented the, the situation and so I, i've just learned you know i've got to really 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 look into this i can't go by what the rhetoric is saying or by or you know what people are just talking about on twitter i've got to really look at the source like let me watch that video where i swear he says this and then when i watch that video i'm like ah he didn't quite say it he he skirted around it but he he re, he he thought he was saying or you know it, you could think that he's saying it but he didn't quite say it so you know i just got to be careful with these kind of things um so yeah i i get uh i get some feedback when i don't when when i assume stuff or when i don't um you know get all the facts straight so the, i think that the, the answer there is just over research on that on the sensitive topics to make sure that you can um back up every single thing that you say with um you know credible sources yeah i'm curious in this process have you ever made an episode and you was you were forced to remove it or make it down uh, in this series well there was on um, no but there was one guest that i had that um the, he talked about an incident that he handled and then that incident had to had a court case that came up so there was a um, you know court hearing and stuff so his boss said we don't want you talking about that whole incident cuz we're going to go represent ourselves in court um so we need to get that you know your voice removed from that so i had to uh scrub his voice out of it and which and so it took a while so i took down the episode took his voice out of it kind of just narrated my own thoughts and and you know research on, over it instead of his voice and then republished it so that kind of took a, a while to get that back up um but that was that was the only one that i actually took down for a while i'm curious no have have you ever been hacked already <laughs> um not since i made the show i've been careful with the show in the past i've had um i've posted some things on social media actually a twi- uh, youtube videos that i was making and somebody liked what i was doing so much and they uh looked in the video to kind of see what location i was in you know saw some landmarks and said okay he's in this town and then tried to like figure out through and this person was in germany tried to figure out where in the town i was which then gave them the location of my house just through video you know looking at the video and then from the location of my house they were able to look up the county records and found the name of who owned the house and they found my name and my address and all this stuff and then they looked to see where i worked and then they found my work email address and then they emailed me at work saying hey i'm a, i'm the biggest fan of your youtube channel and i just wanted to say thank you and i'm just like this is really really creepy this is too far <laughs> So uh since then I've tried to um keep keep my, more secure online and stuff like that. Mhm. That's uh that's creepy indeed. So uh, I would like to ask you, do you because there's a statement that hacker don't broke software. They simply demonstrate it is already broken. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I guess so. Um I mean the I think for a lot of situations that's true where um you know you I was just interviewing a guy yesterday who was able to um look at a website and just 
click right click view source of the website and that had um, a lot of sensitive information that shouldn't have been there and so that's really not quite hacking right right click and view source on a website is not hacking that's not a hacking tool um, that's not illegal to do but when he did that he was able to see all kinds of information that shouldn't have been visible um, and so yeah I mean there's lots of situations like that where we're just demonstrating that's the problem but in there, but there's many other situations where the the hackers are so motivated and have so many resources that they're not going to stop at anything. They're going to, um, you know, hire, pay pay people inside the company to you know give them information or access, or they're going to hire somebody to get a job there and get extra information inside or something like that. Like there, there's just no stopping them from getting that information from inside a company or inside a, you know, I mean, we've got double agent spies and stuff all over the world. Um, there's, they'll find a way through and they don't need to demonstrate that, the, you know, something is already broken. Um, they'll break something to get it there. Like there's, there's stories of um, nation state actors, you know, hackers working for a, a, a country who have infiltrated the supply chain. So they've, in, they've intercepted like a, like a router or a computer in the mail, opened the box, planted in a chip, and then shipped it back in the mail to where they need to go so that now they can monitor, you know, that computer using their spy chip or something like that. So like, <laughs> this is, this is very, uh, you know, hard to, uh, hard to do. But, um, the, you know, if that's what the situation calls for, they can, they can do that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's great. But I'm curious to know, what is the most controversial or maybe sophisticated case you handled the both calls and maybe it was still for you just how this happened and just what is because I know there's some situation happened that there's no you don't know who was the hacker or sometimes they don't release uh, the information if you can tell us what is the most sophisticated and controversial case yeah I mean I haven't covered it yet but I also have to say hacking uh, the US elections and, you know, you could probably even go so far as the hacking, you know, the Brexit decision or, you know, there was a French elections, you know, not too long ago to Marie Le Pen and all this stuff. And uh, there was quite a lot of, you know, information, disinformation campaigns going on, as well as hacking into the DNC and um, different election, state elections uh, that were going on as well. And Guccifer was, you know, the hacker involved with this and all this stuff. And amazingly enough, there's just overwhelming evidence that there was, you know, ties to Russia. In fact, there's even indictments with people's names and pictures of these are the hackers who <laughs> these are the Russian hackers who hacked in the election. There's still controversy over this. There's still people who say there's Russia did not hack the elections. And um, it's ridiculous because there's just overwhelming evidence at this point. So it's it's one of those that I'm I'm kind of oh I'm kind of tired of <laughs> talking about it so much or, or hearing about the elections and how uh, how horribly um, you know easily hacked they, they could be and and how horribly corrupt some of it is. But the uh, but it, so it's such a big issue that I haven't really covered it yet. But I think that's the one that's going to have uh, the most controversy of people just uh, claiming everything I say is is rubbish. But um, yeah, it's just because I think people's ideologies are, 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 they just don't want to believe this kind of thing. Yeah, and, and I would like to ask you, what is the weirdest thing I've ever about uh, heard about hacking? Something was he didn't expect it. Uh, for example, I was listening to a Booker episode, just it was really, it just I, I can't feel that was scary and... And yeah, I, I don't know what something you think of just, just weird. Like, you don't expect this kind of hacking they can be used. Something could be weird. Yeah. Um, oh, there's so many things that I remember saying, but I can't remember right now. <laughs> um, I mean, one of the things was that, that that comes to mind was there was a there was a little girl who got uh, put in the hospital by her parents. The parents took her to the hospital because she was sick, and the hospital decided, and we don't know why the hospital decided, but the hospital decided to take her away from her parents. There was something wrong that her parents were doing, and the hospital just took custody of, of this child. And so there was big protests going outside the hospital. How dare you take this kid away from her parents? Um, and so, well, when there's physical protests, there's also digital protests, which means somebody's going to attack the hospital. And so hackers started hitting the hospital, knocking out the phone lines, the fax lines, the website, 
um, just flooding the whole thing with as much, um, you know, chaos as they could, which when you're hitting a hospital, you're hurting, you know, a lot of, you know, patients, and this was a children's hospital, so you're hitting other kids, <laughs> you know, it's just not, um, it's not an effective way of, of protesting. I don't think so. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's got too much collateral damage, if you ask me, or potential for. So, um, yeah, that was a really weird one to me, like, do it, do something else. <laughs> show your show your anger in another way but this is not not okay with me yeah 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 i think we'll speak about this part ethical hacker but before we go on to the ethical hacker i would like to ask you i think that's many many students ask this question what information hackers do need to attack what are the types of hackers mm. Well, there's there's teams. So there's a blue team and the red team. So the blue team is the ones who's defending the network, and the red team are the ones who kind of simulate the attacks. So they can be the attackers in a simulation, and then there's the defenders. So um, breaking that out, um, we have different other teams, right? So we have uh, the red. Well, in the red team is. Um, people who are trying to hack into companies because that's their goal, right? The company wants says, "Hey, we're secure. We know it. Prove that you can get into us, right?" So they hire the uh, the penetration tester to come in. And so a penetration tester can do either um, a digital penetration test where they just try to get in through the website or through open ports or services that this company has on the internet, or they can try to infiltrate the building and that's a physical penetration tester and so they'll get in and um, steal some stuff or plant a computer inside or something like that and get out without getting caught yeah yeah and if i ask you what who is the most dangerous hacker all the time someone who's really dangerous um well i I mean, you, so that those are the those are all the good guys. So the bad guys are the ones who are not doing it with permission and just hacking into a company and stealing, you know, company secrets or people's information. Um, I mean, we've got China, for example, who has decided to hack all Americans. So what they've done over time is they've hacked into the Office of Personnel Management, which is the government uh, office which handles all federal employees' uh, information. So millions of federal employees' information was stolen by Chinese hackers. We also have China was behind Equifax breach. And so everyone who has a credit report has their personal information on Equifax, and Equifax has things like your whole credit history, where you lived, all the different places you lived, all the different names you've had, your phone numbers, your addresses, like so much information on you. Um, and China was the one behind this. So China has been trying to steal tons of personal information from us. Um, yeah, I think that's a scary one. Like, what are they going to do with all this? Uh, it's not, I'm not quite sure, but... Uh, that's scary. I mean, we can go much scarier and say that there's been attacks on power grids and taking out critical infrastructure of a city and, um, you know, all kinds of other stuff like that. And it can cause damage. Or, or there was a recent one a few weeks back where we had um, a hospital that got hit with some with some malware and one of the patients died because they weren't able to, the machine just wasn't able to treat her because it was infected. And so we had a, a actual person died from an attack. Wow. That's horrendous. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know, but because I'm still asking as well, what are the most, uh, maybe a country with high, high quality hackers, maybe even positive side and negative side as uh, from government and working side. Yeah, I think U.S. U.S. <laughs> um, so I think I mean the NSA has the uh, has the, probably the most sophisticated capabilities. Um, I might be biased on that, but some of the um, some of the things we see after the fact, we can kind of reverse engineer and see. Okay, how'd you do this? And Stuxnet is the kind of the big one, where um, it was a very sophisticated attack on a on an Iranian nuclear enrichment facility, and it was just so sophisticated. It was like beyond anything anyone could ever imagine and yet it was carried out in in great success so um yeah th that one is amazing but just kind of going down the top seven most uh most advanced uh countries i would say and i don't know what the order is so i'm just kind of naming them as i as i think of them but the the top seven are uh, russia china the u.s uh, israel iran 
North Korea. I think I said seven. <laughs> oh, and, and UK, I think, is another one with the MI6. So if I ask you, what is an ethical hacker? When, if anyone listening, what is ethical hacker? Ethical hacker is somebody who is uh, probably on the red team and they are hacking because they, they got permission to do so. Um, so they they are well, so I mean, there's there's a there's also other things like bug bounties and, and security researcher and stuff. So people who are looking for vulnerabilities in software or in a company and then reporting them to the company and not using them for any sort of monetary gain or any, um, you know, exploiting them for any reason, uh, but instead doing it only in the basis of, I'm going to help this person or company be more secure or software. Software. Yeah, yeah. So if I ask you what is the biggest misconception about hackers, and maybe con misconception again about your show, and maybe about hacking in general and security field in general. What's a misconception you have witnessed? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people think it's just some lone person in a basement in a hoodie or something like that. Um, that's obviously a misconception, even though I love hoodies and I kind of like that uh, stereotype. And so I lean into that a little bit myself. But still, um, you know, a lot of hackers are, um, I mean, I've I had st one story where a kid was hacking his school in the middle of third period class on a tablet, right? So it's just... It wasn't quite what you imagine what a hacker is. This kid was in class doing it, right? Um, and so there's also stories of, of, you know, governments hacking where they have, they're dressed in military, you know, uh, uniforms and they're in a military base and there's maybe 20 or 30 people in the room all working on the same objective. Um, so, so there's that kind of thing too. So it, you uh, you can picture quite a wide variety of, of scenarios and places and things where, where a hacker could be um, doing things. Also, we have um, physical penetration testers, so people who are breaking into buildings and stealing things. Um, I've been interviewing some women who do this. And so these women uh, put on a show to act um, in a certain way, right? They might have a, a fake pregnancy belly that they can strap on and then, you know, say, hey, oh, can you hold the door open for me? I'm trying to hurry, but I can't go very fast, you know? And of course, somebody's going to hold the door open for, um, you know, a young woman with a, a, a big belly. Um, so, you know, they do these things to trick people and they, they flirt and they, they, you know, pull out all the stops to get in where they need to go. And you would never think that they're a hacker. Um, and yet they have like a, you know, their purse is full with, you know, electronics and badge cloners and, uh, you know, little computers that they can just stash somewhere and put in the network and then run out of there. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of a uh, lot of different ways to do it. Yeah, I would like to stop here again because in your episode you mentioned that most about human error. So I think you mentioned that in your episode about that sometimes it tricks the human side. If you're really expert and someone is tricking you like this fake pregnancy. And you can figure out that. And uh, I'm curious to ask you in that case, to which level do you think this uh, technology we have to in the positive side to prevent this hacking? And and in the side, we will be asking you what makes a good hacker. Sometimes, if you're really a good hacker, what, what skills do you need? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think to 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 be a good hacker, you need to be able to adapt and kind of read the the landscape. So you know, you get into a a building or a computer or something and you you have to look okay what's here to what what tool can i use here to my advantage and sometimes you can't bring tools so you have to use whatever tool is there um, and so just being able to adapt and sure you have like an idea of what your mission is or your goal but you need to you can't get it or it gets foiled for some reason and you have to change the whole goal and you know reroute yourself to get to the where you need to go so that adaptability, I think, is is big. Um, obviously, knowing as much as you can, like pre-studying things. So, like, um, if you have just you know knowledge of who works there or what computers they have in the network, all these things can can just show up like to be to your advantage at some random point. I I think um I think of uh, you know this kind of like is playing the game of Jeopardy where you might be asked a really crazy random question that you heard only once back in high school or or you know college or something and you're like oh yeah I remember my teacher telling me that and now I can use that here finally for the first time in my life like this is the kind of stuff that you're always doing 
on the job because uh, you, you're just thrown a wild and crazy question every day. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's I, I either have to research this because I don't know anything about it or I have this little clue of where I think I need to look in the world to, to figure out the answers to this. And so just having a really wide variety of, of knowledge is really helpful to being a good hacker. Yeah. And to which level do you think the technology we have nowadays is sufficient to maybe counter this kind of hacking attacks? And do, do, how do you see the technology now develop for this? Well, I'll just give some, um, some general guidelines. I think um, using uh, antivirus is good because that's going to scan your computer or phone or whatever for like all the latest um, you know, problems that could possibly exist. P keeping things patched up. So patching your phone, applications, computer, all the apps there, operating systems uh, makes, makes it so that the vendors who made that software, um, any vulnerabilities that they're aware of have put a fix in. And when you have a patch in, that means that, that you can't be exploited with all the known vulnerabilities. And a lot of times I talk about you know, a vulnerability that came out and then a year later that infected the world because people weren't patching their computers and stuff. Um, and then I think the third thing is really protecting your email address. Um, we used to say in the U.S. it's crucial to protect your social security number because of identity fraud and all this stuff. I think the new thing to protect is your email. Um, don't give that out if you don't need to. And definitely don't, um, you know, have, have the password for your email address more secure than other things that you use. Because once you get into somebody's email you can then reset passwords on any of the other accounts that they have, their medical account, their bank account, their Twitter account, you name it. Everything is, you know, connected to your email. So that's kind of like the most thing, the thing that you probably need to protect the most as far as um, securing it with a really good password um, that you don't use anywhere else and is very, very complex. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Actually, uh, uh, my brother is also studying, he has electric engineering, studying in electric engineering and taking some courses in security. And he asks you what's the difference between uh, deep web and darknet. Hmm. Um, so I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head here. The, uh, the deep, so, so we're talking about Tor here. So Tor is a um, protocol that... Um, anonymizes the traffic. So it's kind of like uh, its own version of the internet we're talking about here, right? So you, you access it and then you have, um, when, you, when you get into this, you know, network, then you can access sites in that network. And when you get into the network, you're, you're anonymized. That's what the whole protocol does. It anonymizes the traffic so nobody knows where you're coming from, where you're going, all these kind of things, who you are, what other connections you have. Um, more secure, more private. And when you get to it, I mean, the, the network, I think, itself is called the dark net. And then the um, the websites that are in that network are called the deep web. I think that's how it's defined. Um, to me, those, like, drawing a, a, a strong line between all these terms doesn't really matter that much. I think people use it all loosely. So it, it does get confusing sometimes just because people seem to use it interchangeably. Mm -hmm. We also have another question. Uh, what are the qualifications you need to join uh, Cisco uh, uh, to be qualified in, uh, in security and working in this domain as a SQL hacker or social engineering as well? Um, okay, so yes, there are there are certifications you could do, um, you, or you can get a degree in in network security or computer security. I'm not sure the 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 schools haven't really. Um, you know, as far as bachelor's degree, master's degree, haven't really gotten to security yet. I, I think some schools have, but it's just not widespread. Like, you know, computer science is a very popular degree, but, you know, computer security just isn't there yet. And the courses that the, the schools that are doing it, they don't have a really robust, um, you know, framework for what people should be learning. And it's kind of hit or miss on whether or not it's good. But there are certifications that do teach security. Um, uh, the, the beginner one is uh, Security Plus um, by CompTIA, and then there's also CEH, which stands for Certified Ethical Hacker, and then there's a more advanced one called the OSCP, which is, um, I think, Offensive Security Professional, uh, something like that. And so uh, the these are certifications that 
um, you can take or you can take a class, you know, one week class and learn how to do these kind of skills. And then you can take the, the test at the end and you'll have a certification. And with a certification could be a way into a company to get a job as a as a penetration tester. I mean, that's one one thing you can do. Um, you know, people can just know what they're doing or have experience or just have a strong passion for it. And that could be another way to get things done. But um, if you don't have a good direction, then a cert is fine. Yeah, that's great. We're closing the end and we have a few questions. Uh, the first one, what's your inspiration for the podcast? How would you see the podcast after many years? And I'm also I'm curious to ask you this question. I don't know if you can answer it, but... I know that you don't want it to have a photo for you in public and people love you so much and love the podcast. Do you think it's challenging for you that people don't know you, uh, how you looks like? Is something challenging for you or you don't mind about it? Uh, it's a little bit challenging. Like I wouldn't mind giving talks and stuff, but I just don't want the photos. I do I do try to stay, um, you know, as private as I can. Um, and yeah, and I don't know. Um, But I, I think it's also good practice to to stay secure online and not, you know, post pictures of my house or where I live and all these things and, and you know, my family members, whatever it is, um, just keep them off social media. And so um, I think that's just good practice that more people should be doing. Um, but anyway, I think, uh, what was the first question you said? Uh, oh, yeah, aspiration. Um Well, I was hoping to write a book this year and maybe make a uh, uh, like a tutorial, video tutorial or session or something. Uh, you know, a lot of people want to learn more on how to do, I don't know, Python programming or hacking or something. And I was like, oh, well, I could make a video course. So I was thinking of doing something like that. Um, maybe a second podcast is probably um, in the works. It is in the works, <laughs> um, but it's been in the works for a couple of years. So, I mean, yeah, I just I think the podcast itself is kind of a springboard for the next things I'm going to work on. Um, this year has just been kind of derailed my plans, but otherwise, um, yeah, I'll just keep creating more things after this. Yeah, cool. Um, so after three years, what's really podcasting changing in you as a, as a jack of human, as a professional, what's really changing in you after three years in the podcast? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I mean, I've got a lot more skills when it comes to journalism and storytelling and audio. So that definitely has leveled up. I've uh, it took me a while to find my voice on how I sh how I should sound on there, um, but I think um, I think I have a much deeper understanding of like there's this whole I don't know what I don't know part of the world of hacking, and I think I've kind of pushed all the way to the end of the you know as close to the bottom of the well as I can of like okay these are the capabilities that people have like I can I can see when I watch movies you know I can kind of see the difference between that's sci-fi that's not true what they're doing with the computer and that is uh, accurate they can do that so so having a deeper knowledge of that I think is, is has helped and um yeah I don't know I, I think I have a better understanding of of kind of the landscape of where we are in the world collectively Um, as with our capabilities and what people are doing and, and maybe what the motives and opportunities are that people have and why they hack. Yeah. I would like also to stress this point because I know that you help a lot of people, especially a beginner podcaster and podcast Reddit community. They, they appreciate what you do and help others. And I'm curious to ask you if you have a word for uh, someone who interested to have a podcast. What could be the most important word is you have to deliver for um, him or her to start a podcast? I think, um, I think I like to lead with value. And so you start out with saying, what what problem am I trying to solve with the listener? What do they want to know more? What do they want to understand more of? And then figure out how to deliver that, kind of reverse engineer that and say, okay, if they want to be educated on this particular topic, what are the best ways to educate them? Or if they want to laugh, what are the best, you know, what are the best things? And, and to always to go back to, mastering your craft of this right so there's like courses you can take um on how to be a better storyteller or how to be a, a better comedian um master is one of the sites that seems to uh, offer lots of different um classes on different things so you know if you can take a master class course on comedian uh, you know how to tell jokes better because you have a comedy uh, com com comedy podcast then you know that might work you know it depends on how good of a com comedian you are Um, you know, I think it's a podcasting is a great way to learn new skills if you want to like learn how to do stuff too. So it's good to, 
you know, just master your craft at whatever you're, whatever you're trying to do. And then your audience will really appreciate that because they want to listen to great stuff. They don't want to listen to mediocre things. I can't agree more with that. And finally, do you have any um, life-changing advices was given to you in your life and you want to share? I don't have the advice, but what I've been looking through lately is I've been doing a lot of meditation and I've been trying to understand what my conscience is. <laughs> and it just doesn't, it's like this thing that doesn't quite exist. Like I can't find proof of it in science, yet there it is in my head. I, I can hear things and see things, but that, and that's how my world is. That's how my world is. It's all in my head. It's the things gets reflected into my conscience and then my conscience is then absorbed into my b being and that is wild that's so wild for me like I'm kind of transforming myself this year to, to understand this in more in depth of what yeah that's a, that's a deep Baba. but I'm curious what kind of question you're looking to answer for yourself if you can share well like oh yes uh, so like I I'm not sure you know, who, who I am, if you keep going deeper, right? Not like who I am, like uh, my, I know my name and, and what my, my mission is in life. But it, when I just look into my head, um, who, who is this person talking? Like, where, where is the center? Where is the, where's the, the source of the decision making of this person who's talking right now? Where is that in my body? Is that in my head? Is it in my throat? Is it in my brain? And where, why can't science like decide here is where the decision has been made for this is what you're going to say next or something like that? It's just so weird to me. I can't agree more with that. I think I'm also in the same boat. And I feel, yeah, I feel what you said. I think that's very deep. I think most of people, uh, because of life and hustle of the life, you can't have the moment to to talk to yourself and, and ask this question. This question is really deep. It's yeah. really deep and I think, uh, yeah. But uh, I'm curious to ask you, um, uh, you use only meditation. Is there other things you try to figure out this kind of questions, but beyond meditation as well? Well, I mean, it's just this year that I've been kind of doing this meditation to do this inward reflection. And um, I don't know if I've really, I mean, you, you kind of just, you kind of just do in life, right? You just, you, you go through your daily habits and you don't take the time to do this. So I don't know if I've really spent that much time doing that in the past. I mean, as a teenager, I felt like I did, like I wanted to know who I was and all this stuff and why I do the things I do. But then you kind of settle into this understanding of life and you go, and now I'm older and I'm revisiting that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a very important message for the audience and myself to think about that, yeah. Um, do you have any final words uh, you want to say, Jack? I think uh, I think I'm good. Actually, it was a great pleasure uh, to have you, and thank you for your time, Jack. It was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me.